Hello and welcome to episode 142 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on August 2nd, 2019. If you forgot to pay your rent yesterday, this is a reminder that your rent is due, everybody. My name is Corey Motley. I am a podcast producer. I am a co-host of the show, and I'm an occasional writer at GameCritics.com. I'm 50% of the show. If you're wondering who the other 50% is, it is my partner in crime, Brad Galloway. He is the co-host here and the editor of GameCritics.com. How are you, Brad? I am doing good because I actually did pay my rent today, so I'm fine. But thank you for that <laughs> reminder. It's very necessary. <laughs> I used to, when I was in college, I had a friend, I was on the drum line in college, and one of the friends that uh, was on the line with me, every every first of every month, he would post his Facebook status, and he would say, like, oh, today is August 1st, make sure to pay your rent, everybody, and I thought it was so funny, and now, I don't know, I guess I'm, like, passing that on to everybody that's listening to the show. That was very conscientious of him, what a nice guy, and I gotta be honest, there have been a couple months when it just plane slipped my mind so i think i i'm definitely one of the people who would benefit from a reminder <laughs> well here i am to remind you i suppose excelente well how are you doing sir i am doing pretty well i uh don't have any i don't think i have any housekeeping this week um do you have any housekeeping or updates or anything i've got no housekeeping or updates but i am happy to say that we are back to a fairly regular schedule so we just got done recording banter we skipped it last week because we were really short on time and again apologies to everybody who missed the banter last week but we're back and i gotta say it was banter with a vengeance wouldn't you say <laughs> it was i uh i'm not gonna say exactly what we talked about but i thought i just want to say this i thought i was gonna have the most traumatic story for banter but brad just came in and one-upped me like the bastard he is so <laughs> if you want to hear a couple of ridiculous traumatizing stories I, I don't mean seriously traumatizing by the way everybody um slightly uh then feel free to listen on after the show yeah it's kind of a it's kind of a thrill ride this weekend so if you're a banter person don't miss it this weekend but other than that i'm ready to talk about some games man Excellent. I am too. And because I'm hosting this week, uh, I will give you a first shot at discussing games. So what do you want to bring to the show first? Um, so polite of you, such a gentleman. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I just, a couple of really quick hits. I don't have a lot to say about either one, but I, I, in one, I'm contractually obligated to say something. And the other one, I just want, <laughs> I just wanted to mention it. So, <laughs> uh, the one that I have to mention is called 39 days to Mars. I brought this up a million years ago. Because it is an indie two-player game. It's a 2D kind of a puzzle game where you play as two, like, English gentlemen back in, like, the age of Discovery or whatever. And they, it's kind of like a Jules Verne sort of a, you know, mm. kind of that vibe. Like, old Victorian. Back in the day when they thought they could, like, build a rocket to the moon in their backyard and the moon was, like, a face with a mustache on it and a monocle or something like that. You know, that, that kind of weird sensibility. Um so these two English gentlemen decide that they're going to build a ship and go to Mars to hunt the animals that are in space. And they do that. And along the way, there are a bunch of puzzles to solve. And the hook of the game is that it's a co-op game. Um, that's really what drew me to it in the beginning because I was looking for something to play with my son. And this looked like it was might be a good idea. Um, when I talked about it on the show last time, uh, it was a major anti-hit with my son. He actually fucking hated it and he did not want to play it anymore. 
So I put it on pause for a while and I told everybody at that time I would come back to it. So here I am. I came back to it on my own. You can play it by yourself. If you do play it by yourself, the second player is replaced by a cat, which I thought was kind of cute. Um, so you're basically just doing these two player puzzles on your own. And instead of having a second player, you do one person with your left hand and one person with your right hand. And so you have to like, you know, kind of like ambidextrously juggle those functions as you go through the puzzles. And they're, all the puzzles are very different. Like, you know, in one, you're trying to have this winch that has a little hook attached to it. And you're trying to pick up a key. So like one hand is like uh, pulling the winch sideways. The other hand is pulling the winch like up and down, kind of like a claw machine sort of thing. There's one where you're connecting wires to a switchboard in order to get a number to light up. And so one hand is holding one end of a wire. The other hand is holding the other end of a wire. And of course, you know, you would be doing this with a partner. So I'm, I'm guessing the basic idea is that, you know, you would be communicating and saying, you know, no, no, not that one or no, this other one or go higher here or go lower here or, you know, whatever, something like that. That was the part that was really frustrating because it's very fiddly. Um, it's not just a matter of get the strategy and go. It's also about be very careful about what you're doing because the whole game is really easy to fuck up and it's really easy for one person to just just be a little bit off and then that'll throw the other person off and then the whole thing gets screwed and you start over. Really fiddly game. Um, honestly, a little bit too fiddly, I think. So I went back into it with the full intention of finishing it and talking about it. But I got to say, the further I got into it and I got, I got further by myself, I just really didn't like it. Um, the puzzles, as I said, very fiddly, very confusing like they don't tell you what to do and so half of the puzzle is just figuring out what you're supposed to do like what are the rules of each puzzle each puzzle is like slightly different and it's not like a fun kind of a discovery it's just like a nothing's going on what am i doing maybe if i push this button something will happen no what about this button oh okay this did something and then you know like nine minutes later i'm like okay i figured it out but it wasn't like a big light bulb came on or like it was even it's not like it's even really that fun to do like a the figuring out process is not a really fun process for me. So games that really like to do that are not really my jam. But beyond that, I probably would have just powered through and finished it because I think the aesthetics are kind of cute. But the problem is that there's not much content to this game. I've had people tell me it's maybe like three hours long and I bailed it about an hour and a half. So I was only about halfway through it. But they repeated puzzles way too often and it just felt like ridiculous padding. Uh, so, so these are English gentlemen. At one point, you're like doing a puzzle and then... You finish that one, you go to the next one, he's like, oh, I can't do the next puzzle, I need a cup of tea. Okay, you're English, I get it. I, I see what you're doing there. So you go to get some tea, and it, the, making the tea is a puzzle. So it's like, oh, you have to balance the milk and pour the milk in, and just the simple act of pouring the milk is, like, difficult because you're trying to do it with two hands, and it's all physics, weird, and janky and stuff. So you, you make the tea, he drinks the tea, that's great. Go back and do the puzzle. He does the puzzle. You go into the next puzzle. Oh, I can't do this puzzle. Like I have another cup of tea. And I'm like, I just made you a cup of tea, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> how many cups of motherfucking tea are you going to have? Like, and there was a long stretch where he would like have to have a cup of tea or a scone in between each puzzle. And the tea and the scone was a puzzle unto itself. And they're just the exact same puzzles over. Like, it's not anything new. You are simply repeating the exact same steps you did last time. And it was, it was funny the first like couple times. And then it just got really insulting and boring. And I was like, don't waste my fucking time because that's all you're doing is wasting my time but i i powered through that but the part where i bailed was you get to this puzzle where they do like a morse code and i'm like okay everybody knows what morse code is but nobody knows morse code <laughs> like everybody knows sos that's all anybody knows so the, this little hint tip pops up and it's like oh if you don't know morse code go to the library of the ship and read the book and i'm like okay i'll do that so i went to read it and it gives you the whole code 
And I assumed, like, once I read that book, the code would be, like, displayed on the screen for my reference. Uh, no. no. Nope. You got to remember it, motherfucker, or write it down. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not writing down the entirety of Morse code to figure out this fucking puzzle when you could very easily put it up here on the screen for me or put it in a menu where I could push a button and show it. And I'm like, I did a couple letters and I'm like, fuck this. This is a complete waste of my time. This is like insulting to me as a player that you're making me fucking do this. This is stupid. And so I bailed on it. Um, and I just stopped. I just didn't want to waste any more time. So I think it's really cute in terms of visuals. I think it's a cute idea. Like these, you know, these, these Victorian English gentlemen making a ship to Mars is kind of a kooky idea that I'm kind of down with. But man, not enough content. The puzzles are super fiddly. It's really annoying to play with a second player. And just, I feel like it's full of like... It's a tiny game, and it's it's still full of fluff, even as a tiny game, which is a problem. They should have just made some more puzzles and made better puzzles. So, anyway, that was 39 Days to Mars. My contractual obligation is now fulfilled. <laughs> I don't have to talk about it anymore. Didn't finish it. We'll probably never finish it. Thoughts, hopes, dreams, ideas, Corey? Um, first, my first thought, which is slightly unrelated to the game itself, is the fact that Every once in a while, someone will say a word that I remember is wonderful that I need to, like, try to rework into my vocabulary. And you said fiddly, like, seven times during that monologue. And fiddly is such a great word, and I, it doesn't get enough love, and I don't say it enough. So maybe I'll try to work that into my vocabulary a little bit. And second of all, this game sounds... It sounds like this weird, like, cross between... I do this every goddamn time you bring a game up. It it's seems your like, thing. <laughs> it seems like a weird cross between, like... It, like, whenever you're talking about, like, the simple act of, like, making the tea or the scones or, like, doing these weird kind of, like, offshoot puzzles, it sounds like the kind of thing that I would expect to see in a VR game where it's, like... You're playing VR and like, oh, if you were playing just like a regular side scroller or like a regular adventure game, like this wouldn't necessarily be a puzzle. But because you're in VR, we're going to like turn it into this weird thing where you have to like pick up the coffee cup with one controller and pick up the tea and put it on the stove or whatever. And it also sounds like it's a cross between like that and also it, you're, like with some of the stuff you're saying is really sending me like like almost like old school survival horror uh, feels where like. You know, in, like, old Resident Evil, where it's like, oh, if you want to unlock this door, you have to, like, push these four bookcases around, and then this statue across the room, and then press these eight switches in this order, and then the door unlocks, and it just, like... I mean, there's, like, a time and place for stuff like that, but I don't think the game you're playing is the time and place for either of those things, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you're not far off. It doesn't feel like Resident Evil, but I think conceptually you're dead on where they take something that should be very simple and then make it really complicated. And then that complication is like the gameplay, um, <laughs> which I, I uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think for me personally, it generally doesn't work. And I don't think that it works here. I mean, it's it was goofy enough, but it just got really kind of annoying. And you are correct about like, VR, you know, taking some simple thing and then the act of doing that simple thing is the thing you're supposed to do. I mean, like making a cup of tea in any other game, it would be like push B and you make a cup of tea. But in here, it's like use both of your hands and lift the tea and don't spill it because the tea is spilling and the milk follows physics. <laughs> and then if that thing is not in the right cup, then it's wrong. And then you got to get an ice cube and then put the ice. Yeah, I was just like, oh, fuck. okay, like like doing it one time was fine. Doing it five times, not fine. So anyway, I don't recommend that game. Really, I don't think. I think it's a really. I think. I think I like it better as an idea than I do like it in practice. So that was kind of a downer. Um, another thing that I thought I was going to like and I ended up not liking was Marvel Ultimate Alliance Three. Have you played either of the first two, or do you know about 
Marvel Ultimate Alliance? I have not. I th- <clears throat> I want to say several. God, it feels like decades ago. I might have played like a demo for one of them because these are like the, like, I correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will, but like slightly isometric, like multiplayer sort of third person Marvel action games. Is that what's happening here? Yeah, it's basically like Diablo, but with Marvel characters, okay. um, kind of doing like dungeons. It's like it's like, a, it's like the top-down isometric um, dungeon crawler sort of a thing. Um, I think they originally debuted. I want to say on 360, and they were multiplayer at the time. I really liked the first one a lot back then, and I thought the second one. Um, I mean, my, my memory my memory of it is kind of hazy because it was so long ago, and I haven't played them since. Uh, I remember number two like being like not quite as good, but still you know like okay whatever. And I think I played both of them with a the wife. I'm pretty sure I did. So I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I could do, like, a top-down Marvel. I love Marvel, and I, like, I generally like, you know, these kind of top-down games. I'm down for that. Uh, this is a Switch exclusive. And the thing that really, like, threw me for a fucking loop is it's developed by Team fucking Ninja. No I'm like, way. Yes, yes way. And I'm like, why? Why is Team Ninja making this game? This makes no sense. What do they have to do with top-down Doom-like or Diablo-like games? None of none of this makes sense to me at all. I have no idea how they ended up doing this game. It, can I, I can I guess what they did with this game? Like, please do, please do. Did they? Okay, so this is my gonna be. This is not really a guess, but it is a guess. Um, it, whatever you're about to say, it's wrong. But go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that they took this game, and the only character you can play as is Black Widow. But instead of writing her like the bad bitch that she is, they made her like this tiny anime girl that has like daddy issues to the entire game and has to <laughs> ask for like Iron Man's approval before she does anything in order to not get herself killed. Did they uh, Metroid this game? Like they did that game. I see what you did there. That is a very good callback. I approve of that callback uh, to the execrable uh, oh. Metroid other M, which was, Oh God. That game was so like bad. Rancid horseshit. No, they didn't do that, unfortunately. That was a good joke, though. I appreciate you took that, <laughs> took that shot. Um, so I guess I guess my main question with Marvel Ultimate Alliance is, it is, I mean, literally, if you've played, um, I, I keep wanting to say Doom, but I mean to say Diablo. Diablo. <laughs> um, it's just, I don't, uh, I don't know if times have changed or if this is just a bad game. I mean, my... <laughs> My first inclination is to say this is a bad game, but then I remembered really liking the other ones, or at least the first one back in the day, and I'm like, well, was I just a more innocent gamer back then? Was I less jaded? Is this literally the same game, and I just don't like it now because 12 years have passed since then? Or, like, is this just not a good iteration of it? I mean, it's it's hard to say, but I think I'm kind of leaning towards this is not a good iteration of it because I have played other games like this, which I think are fun, this one just is not very fun. Um, and what you basically do is you you take a team of four Marvel characters. There's a bunch in the game. You have to unlock them as you go. And then you just do these top-down levels where you just button mash your way through. Like a million little random goons come up. You just button mash them. There's a couple special moves. Uh, and then like that's kind of like all there is to it. Um, you unlock, like I said, you unlock more characters as you go. And like each character... You know, there's little variations between them, but they all kind of feel more or less the same. Like, I didn't really feel like any of them were, like, especially much better than any other one. Um, some were melee, some had projectile attacks, but that was, like, the biggest difference. Um, and the graphics were, like, really small on the Switch. Like, whether I was on the, the TV or handheld, it just was really fucking hard to tell what was going on. Like, just way too much stuff on the screen. 
Um, you know, Iron Man is apparently supposed to be doing some kind of cool laser beam while he's flying around, and I can't really tell. Like, it just looks like a bunch of stuff going, just happening, just explosions and people moving around and just like a big mishmash on the screen. And on top of that, like, it just seemed like really grindy. Each character starts with one power, and I think they have a total of four. And, like, the very first thing is, like, oh, you know, reach level 10 before you get to your second power. And I'm like, you only gave me one power. Like, it's, this is boring. Like, I'm doing one power for however long. And unless I'm mistaken, it looks like you have to level up each individual character. So, like, if you level up your favorite team, that's fine, I guess, if you're not bored of it. But then let's say you want to swap out somebody. That person has to be leveled up separately. So it's like, man, no, dude. Like, that doesn't... No, 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 no. <laughs> Um, I bailed on it really fast. I think I put maybe, maybe like an hour into it. Um, I got to these puzzles that were really fucking annoying because it was just like push a button and this gate opens and you go through that gate and push another button and another gate opens. And it was just really fucking boring and stupid. And I was already like not feeling the game at that point. So I was like, forget it. So I don't have real in-depth criticisms of it. I just like just really negative first impressions. So like, this is not a review. This is not me passing like final judgment on it. I've had some people pop into my feed and say, oh, it gets better later. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe you, but that's fine. I just really just didn't want any part of this game. And I was honestly very excited for it. I almost bought it at full price, dude. I was very excited for it. And I held off and I'm glad that I did. Gamefly came in, um, sponsored by Gamefly. Not really sponsored by Gamefly. And I, after about 30 minutes or so, I did not want to play anymore. So... A whiff for me. I'm really glad I didn't pay for it. Very glad I didn't pay for it. And thank you to Gamefly for saving me that 60 bucks. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but this has been... Uh, Ultimate Alliance 3 has been like a pretty like long-awaited entry in the franchise. Is that right? Yeah, it's been delayed a few times, but this one got people excited. I mean, anybody like me who remembered the first two has pretty, pretty positive memories of those games. I mean, I don't know if our, our brains are playing tricks on us or what, but <laughs> this one was pretty hyped up. Like, they gave it a real big push. Um, I believe Nintendo's publishing it. And, I mean, it's a full $60 game, so it's not just, like, a bargain title or anything. I mean, they, they're they already talking about, like, seasons and having, like, tons of DLC and new characters and stuff. But, man, I just, I just can't see putting any time into this. It just feels so boring, you know? And I liked... Diablo. It's not like I'm against those kind of games. I think those kind of games are fun when you get a good one, but this one just did not click with me. So maybe my brain is kind of making my memories of the first one better than it was, or maybe just times have changed. Maybe this one is just not a good game. I don't know, but I bounced off this one real hard. So I will not be coming back to it and I would not recommend it. Mm, that is too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'm, I'm just glad I didn't pay the money for it. So anyway, those are my two quick hits. Um, let's switch over to you, Corey. Uh, we're going to be talking about another Switch game, Doom 3. <laughs> yeah, so I have I have a confession to make. Um, there is another game I wanted to talk about, but I knew that if I brought it back to the show, you would just somehow find a way to punch through my computer monitor into my face from your computer and smile. What were you going to bring up again? <laughs> Uh, I started playing Prey again. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, God let me explain. Let me explain, Brad. Let me explain. So I finished System Shock 2 and I was like, you know, I want to go back and try Prey because there's a lot of similarities there. And so I started playing it on the PlayStation 4 and I was like in the middle of a new game plus that I'd started like a while ago. And I got maybe like 75% of the way through it. And I probably started at like the 40% mark or so. 
And then I, I thought to myself that very night that I was playing it, I thought to myself, you know, it would be really great to try this game on PC, but it's never, I mean, it's it's never on a good sale on PC. It'll go like half off and be like $30, but I'm not going to pay $30 for a game that I already own on a system. But I sometimes I do this, as I've said before, with PC games on the show, like, you know, I bought Deus Ex again on the PC, so like the Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, because it's just a new and interesting way to play it. And they also look better on PC or on my PC. I, than I know how consoles. you are. I you know, know the Corey Motley shit. I know, you know how you get I know this. <laughs> and then, I kid you not, that very night, I open up my computer, I log into Steam, because every once in a while I'll just open Steam and see if anything on my wish list is on sale. And would you believe it if I told you that Prey was on the deluxe edition of Prey that has Prey, Prey Moon Crash, which is the roguelike thing that is just okay. And they have a, like, apparently some kind of, like, VR thing that's PC only, which I have not played, but I'll bring that to the show later. That whole deluxe edition pack was on sale for, like, $8. So I jumped on it. I know. I jumped on it immediately, and I bought it. And I have been, I mean, before I went to MechaCon, I barely have played anything since I got back to MechaCon because I was just busting my ass all weekend um, there and I didn't really have time to do anything. But like the week prior to MechaCon, I I just fell right back into it. I started playing Prey, sat at my computer for hours on end and start, you know, started a brand new game and playing it with mouse and keyboard controls because that game is a little more intense. It's probably one of the more like quicker paced games I've played with mouse and keyboard controls, but I'm able, I've gotten a grasp on it, so I'm able to do it pretty well. Um, and it looks better on my PC than it does on the uh, PlayStation 4, which is a little bit surprising, but it looks good. Um, but I can't, I mean, I don't have anything else to say about it other than it's amazing. And I think it secretly might be one of my favorite games of all time without me realizing it. But I'm not here to talk about Prey because I've but, talked about but it. Like we, but we are times. not here to talk. We're not here to talk about Prey. We're not, I just, <laughs> we just spent talked five about Prey. Talking about Prey, but I'm not. But here we're not to talk here. About Prey. Not here. Okay, <laughs> so we're not here to talk about Prey. What are we here to talk about, Corey? We're we're here to talk about Doom Three because I did not realize this, but um, I kind of treat the Switch the same way I do the PC, where every once in a while, I mean, if I'm not playing anything currently, I'll just like turn it on. I'll browse the store to see what's new. I'll see if anything on my wish list is on sale because um, I'm always looking for new stuff to play on the Switch and the PC and every system for that matter. And I open up the Switch and I didn't realize that um, id slash Bethesda is kind of like slowly, I guess it's like the 20 or 25th anniversary of the original Doom and they've been bringing um, the old Doom games to the Switch and they didn't really seem to publicize this or maybe I was just so busy that I wasn't paying attention. And so I saw Doom and Doom 2 and to be frank, I never played those. I My entry into the Doom universe was actually Doom 64, which wasn't developed by id but i thought that it was still wonderful and maybe i thought it was wonderful because i had had no prior experience with doom um so doom 64 like really did it for me and i did see a i think it was like a game informer article the other day that said that apparently doom 64 has gotten like rated in europe or something so like they think that they're gonna bring it to consoles or do like an hd port or something like that which would be fucking rad because i love doom 64 um, but I was browsing, they put Doom and Doom 2 on the Switch, and then I scrolled down a little further, and I saw Doom 3, and I feel like Doom 3 is one of those games that, like, you either really love it or you really hate it, because Doom 3 debuted on the Xbox and PS2 era, I want to say, and it kind of, like, set 
a different tone for the Doom universe than the previous games had because everything working up to that had been a little bit more fast-paced, a little bit more silly, a little bit more like over-the-top in its violence, uh, very true to Doom 2016. But Doom 3 did a slightly like slower, darker, creepier... I mean, I wouldn't call it survival horror per se um, because it still is like, you know, it has the monster closets, there's like imps running around the hallways like shooting their fireball hand things at you but it's just like has a different slightly different flavor than the other dooms it's more like uh more like i don't know, it just feels a little colder a little more like mechanical and darker and you know dingier i guess but i really liked doom 3 and i played it way back on the xbox i think i rented the bfg edition which is like the hd re-up that came out on i think on that it was either the 360 era or the PS4 era, and I played it then, and it was only 10 bucks on the Switch, and I thought, okay, like, I can, I remember this game fondly, so I will sink, you know, 10 bucks into this game that I know, because, because God damn it, the only thing I use my Switch for is to play games that I already own, it's just like my PC, all I do is buy games that I already own over and over <laughs> again on it, and I don't know what my problem is, but it's just You need, the like, idea. one of those little cards where you get 10 punches and you get a free subway at the end of it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, all right, the 10th time you buy Deus Ex Human Revolution, here's your free soda or your free, like, whatever. Here's your free copy of Deus Ex Human Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, here it is. Um, And so I I think it's just like with the PC, it's the idea of acclimating mouse and keyboard controls and having it look better. And for Switch, it's the idea of, like, having it portable and being able to, like, play it in bed or if I'm, like, in a car or something. So, you know, there's definite advantages. Like, I would never buy, like doom 3 on like the playstation 4 and then like buy it on the xbox one because it would be the exact same experience right Um, right but i wanted you know so i wanted to play it on switch and i to be uh honest i haven't played it that much i played maybe like an hour or two i've only played it a couple in a couple sittings um and for for some reason with the switch i i don't know if it's me thinking that nintendo is this like technologically inferior company because for so long they were kind of like behind the curve on like graphics and on processing power. But for some reason, I always think about like what games I think like can and can't exist on the Switch. So like when I saw Doom 3, like the Doom 3 is fucking old and I saw it on the Switch store and like the first thought that came to my head was like, oh, the Switch can run Doom 3? Like, what is this, like, 1997? Like, what am I thinking? And then I always go back to thinking about, like, like, Doom 2016 is on the Switch. So, like, if the Switch can run Doom 2016, it can run fucking anything. So, like, why am I surprised that Doom 3 from, like, I don't know, 2004 or whatever is on the Switch? And, like, Resident Evil 4 is on the Switch, and they're bringing Resident Evil 5 and 6 to the Switch. So, like, I don't know why I feel like I'm so stuck up about, like, ooh, Doom 3, I'm so surprised it can run on the Switch. Like, I need to just get my head out of my ass and just start playing these games instead of being stupid about them. Well, let's be fair to you, Corey. Let's be fair to you, because I don't think you're wrong for thinking that. I think that these games can run, but if they're available in other places, I think the real question is, like, where... Where do you want it and, like, what level of quality are you prepared to accept for it? Because, I mean, I'm sure that um, the new Doom runs. I mean, people have told me it runs really well on the Switch, but it doesn't look its best. I mean, people have said you're, you're trading off portability and convenience for, like, better graphics or, you know, a little bit more horses under the hood. And I'm, I, it's funny you mention this, too, because I just tweeted about this the other day. I bought a game on Switch because it was on Super Duper Sale um, called Planet Alpha. 
and I liked it and I, I thought it was pretty good. I'm not going to talk about it now, but like I, I didn't realize at the time half of the enjoyment of that game is like the lush backgrounds and how artistic they are. And so I played it on the Switch and I'm like, you know, this just doesn't really look that great. And I went to YouTube and I looked it up on PS4 and I'm like, oh, it looks way better on PS4. <laughs> so it runs, it plays just fine, but I don't think it's where it's best. So maybe, maybe that's really like, I, you know, in fairness to you, like it can run stuff. I think the Switch can run stuff, but I don't think it's best at doing stuff like that. I would bet there's probably some, some sacrifices, not, not for a game like Doom 3, which is older, but certainly on something newer. So I don't think you're wrong to think that. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better because I feel kind of like a jerk for thinking that. And I, I'm totally in line with your thinking about, like, obviously, if I wanted to play the best version of, like, Doom 2016 available, I'd probably play it on... I mean, I'm sure, like, PC, you know, the, the elite PC race would say to play it on PC, but I don't think I could... That game is so fast and so, like, ferocious that I don't think I would survive very long on mouse and keyboard controls on it. So, like, the PS4 would probably be my go-to... Um, but you know, you do trade off things like it doesn't look as good on the switch, but it still plays well. Like I played doom 2016 on switch and I thought it was wonderful. Um, I had a very good time with it. Um, but again, we're not here to talk about doom 2016. We're not here to talk about about doom 2016. We're talking about doom. What are we here to talk about? I don't even know anymore. We're not talking about anything. I'm just going to leave and you can just talk for the rest of the show and then it can be (laughs) over with. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, uh, honestly, I don't have a lot to say about Doom 3 on the Switch because I've only played it for about an hour to two hours. But I will say that it is completely faithful to Doom 3. So if you played it before or maybe even if you haven't played it and you have a Switch and you're looking for, like, a place to play it, because honestly, it's probably not easy to find on modern consoles right now. Um, I mean, I would definitely... Give it a shot. I like this trend uh, that Nintendo seems to be really spearheading on the Switch right now of, like, old games that maybe you don't expect to come to Switch to come to Switch. Like, I was scrolling through the store the other day, and I saw, like, Saints Row the Third on Switch, and I was like, whoa, like, my favorite Saints Row. Like, what is that doing over here? And, like, none of the other Saints Rows are on the Switch. Like, just the third one. It's like they handpicked it because they knew it was my favorite one to bring to the Switch. And so, like, I, I hope we keep finding like this trend of like weird like games that you just really don't expect to come to switch to get there i would really like obviously for deus ex human revolution to come to switch because it would be a perfect fit for that console but i don't know if it'll ever happen probably not um but i mean doom 3 is good it feels nice it feels faithful to the original it has some of the bfg edition upgrades where you can have the flashlight and your gun ready at the same time because i know that was a big deal when Doom the originally came out, you could only have your flashlight active or your gun active. You couldn't have them both active at the same time, which I think at the time was meant to lend more of like a scary, slow pace to it. But it really just was kind of irritating because Doom 3 is very dark. There's a lot of shadows, not a lot of light on that station on Mars. But now you can do both of them at the same time. Um, and it, I mean, it feels good. Like, I don't, I feel like I'm just talking in circles right now. Like, I don't really know what to say. It's faithful to the original. It feels nice on Switch. It still, like, looks all right for its time. Um, I'm impressed with it so far. I'm going to keep playing it. And I guess I give it, like, a thumbs up. It's, it's nice. I like it. A couple of things. I'm glad you mentioned the flashlight gun thing because I actually have played Doom 3 all the way through and I actually really liked it back back then. Um, I think that was before I lost my taste for scary games. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I even went back and played like all... They released, I think, at least one or two pieces of DLC which were like like more missions 
and I think you like went to hell or you went to the moon oh, or something. Oh yeah, or whatever. those are on the Switch version too. Just so, so it's the total package. Okay, yeah, good. The total package. I mean, my my question was going to be about the flashlight thing. I was like, they surely they must have kept. <laughs> The flashlight thing, because maybe people don't remember, but when Doom 3 first came out, it was like you could hold your gun or your flashlight, but not both. And so, like, I guess they thought that was going to be a fun game mechanic. Yeah, spoiler, everybody fucking hated it. So, like, uh, and also the first thing people said was duct tape. Hello. Like, could you not tape your flashlight to your gun? Brad, they don't have duct tape on Mars. Come on, man. Get with it. Yeah, we can go to Mars and set up this, like, Mars colony, but no one's got fucking duct tape anywhere. Give me a fucking break. You have, like, a Um, plasma rifle, but you don't have duct tape. I know, right? We can open a dimensional rift, but we don't have duct tape. This is, like, video games in a nutshell right here. It's like the darkest timeline we're in right now. <laughs> Everything is exactly the same about a universe, but no duct tape. How would that affect human, oh the course of human history? Um, so I, that's good. I, I mean, I liked it back then. I don't know if I would like it now, but I had a pretty good time with it, and I liked it enough to do the DLC. So I'm kind of, I will never play it again, but I do have fond memories. So I, it's curious that they brought it to the Switch, and I'm glad to see it. Um, the only other thing that really came up for me when you were talking is like Saints Row the Third is your favorite one. What? Yeah. How is that your favorite one? Because it's the best one, motherfucker. Oh my god, it is so not the best one. It, it is, is the fuck- best one. It is not the best one. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're not here to talk about Saints Row the Third, but I'm gonna write this down. I'm writing this down. You are not off the hook, young man. We are gonna discuss this when your father comes home. <laughs> All right, it's a deal. Oh my god, Saints Row the Third. Ah. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, quick shout out to World War Z. Have you seen the movie or know anything about the game, Corey? I played it on a PS2, but it's on all the systems. World War Z, what do you know? Um, I know that it's a book about a zombie apocalypse that focuses on vignettes of characters. And it's not so much about the zombies, I don't think, as it is about the characters. I haven't read it, so I could be wrong here. But my friend Justin, who lives in Seattle, who probably doesn't listen to the show, but if you are for some reason, hello, Justin, I miss you. Um, He read it and he really loved it. The movie was about Brad Pitt fighting zombies or some shit. Apparently the movie was not that similar to the books because instead of focusing on a bunch of different characters, it was just Brad Pitt, like, I guess, climbing a bunch of zombies to get to a helicopter or something. I don't know. That was a movie poster, I think. (laughs) Um, The other thing that's interesting, I think the most fascinating thing about World War Z is the fact that it was directed by Mark Forrester, who directed Quantum of Solace, the second James Bond, Daniel Craig James Bond movie, which I think is criminally underrated. I think Quantum of Solace is great. Um, And I didn't realize that he directed World War Z until after, like, way after the fact. Um... I reckon, I've seen the game advertised on the PlayStation Store, um, but I don't really know anything about it. Is it like a co-op zombie? Is it like a Left 4 Dead type thing? Is that what's happening here? That is literally, thank you for summing that up, because I think you kind of hit on, (laughs) you kind of hit on all of the relevant topics that I was going to bring up. So you had a pretty good understanding of it, despite the fact that you had not played it. Yeah, I pretend like I don't, but really I know everything inside and out. Kudos to you, sir. Yes, I did read the book of World War Z. I did not see the movie. But yeah, you're right. The, the property focuses on a worldwide zombie epidemic. And in the book, they talk about different countries. Like they'll be like, oh, we're in China for like one chapter. Oh, we're in Russia for one chapter. We're in America for one chapter. And they talk about different how each country kind of deals with the zombie outbreak and like what each area, the peculiarities of it, what it would be and how, you know, it was, it was a pretty good book. It was much different than I thought it was going to be. I have not seen the movie, but the movie took a very different spin from from people that I have talked to. Uh, not only in focusing just on Brad Pitt and his crew, but also the zombies were like way different in that movie. Like I think that the zombies 
are kind of known for not only being fast zombies, but like being in such large numbers that they kind of swarmed and like climbed over each other to kind of like climb up a building. Like if, if a person was on the roof, like zombies would, would go to the building and then zombies would like stand on their shoulders and then other zombies would like crawl on top of those zombies and they would do like a little, like an insectile, you know, you see like, like army ants do this or something, or you see bugs do this sometimes where like, they just like literally fill the gap with their own bodies and then just crawl <laughs> over to get to where they need to go. That was like the big, the big hook of those zombies from that movie. So World War Z, the game is a combination of both of those things. It takes the faster zombies and the climbing swarmy insectile zombies and merges those with vignettes around the globe. And honestly, I think it does turn out pretty well because also, like you mentioned, feels a lot like Left 4 Dead. So Left 4 Dead, it's been a while. It's been a while since Left 4 Dead had its moment. I mean, did you play it? Do you have memories of Left 4 Dead? Yeah, I played both of them. I think I own the first one on Xbox 360. Um, one thing I liked about them is that they were split-screen games, so I think I played couch co-op with Patrick at the time. Um, I didn't. I liked the Left 4 Dead games, but I feel like when they came out, everybody was kind of in that mode of like, oh, anything that Valve makes is like the best thing in the world, and... I was like, yeah, it's like pretty good, but like it's just like a it's just like a zombie shooter, guys. Like, let's calm down a little bit here. Um, but it is good for what it is. Yeah, I played it with the wife, and I had fun going through it. Like, I thought it was good. I mean, I, I thought it was good. I had fun? Question mark going through Question it? mark, yeah. I mean, I thought it was good, but I, I didn't flip for it. Like, I know some people who thought it was like the best game in the world when it came out. And it was okay, but like it was basically just like four friends running through some levels, killing zombies at a really quick pace. Uh, and you know, there were some AI tricks going on where the game would kind of like adjust itself and like throw more or less enemies at you or throw like a super zombie at you, like depending on, like it was going to try to always get you in these gotcha moments. And I mean, I don't know that I necessarily felt that when I was playing the game, it just kind of felt like each level was just running around really quickly and shooting zombies, but it was good with friends. Um, not something that I would play by myself, but good with friends. Uh, so World War Z definitely capitalizes on the same thing. It feels like a spiritual successor to Left 4 Dead to me, um, which is, you know, which is fine, which is good. I played it in co-op with the wife uh, all the way through, but you can play up to four people and you can play with randos if you want to. Um, I don't believe there is any trolling. I don't believe there's friendly. F there is friendly fire, but I don't think it's to the point of where you got to be worried about people like ganking you. Like, I think it's like everybody is a team. And if you don't work together, then nobody wins. So there's not really a lot of incentive to troll anybody. I did play with some randos and I had a fine time. Um, I didn't have any problems and I thought it was, you know, it was all well and good. But basically you have four different levels. There's like Tokyo, Jerusalem, someplace in Russia, probably Moscow, and a place in America. I think it was New York. Each location has a different group of four survivors. So you're getting to know different people in each part of the map. And you basically just go through and shoot a million zombies and do team co-op shooting and help each other out, revive each other if somebody gets downed, um, you know, get each other's back when you're going through. I mean, it's pretty standard, pretty much like what you'd expect, but it's pretty well done. Like, I had a pretty good time with it. Part of the reason is that the levels are, are interesting. Um, each level feels different than the last, and they don't really rely on a lot of tropes. Like, sometimes you're in a really wide open area, sometimes you're in a small area, sometimes you've got some verticality going on. Sometimes you're defending a point that's real easy to defend. Sometimes you're defending a point that's really hard to defend. Sometimes you're escorting something that's moving. Sometimes you're 
you know, like you got like a random, random scattering of, of, of mission objectives. And I felt like it kept things fresh enough that I didn't feel like I was doing the same thing every level. I mean, obviously you're shooting zombies every level, but I didn't feel like, <laughs> I didn't feel like I was playing the same map like 12 times, if you know what I mean. Which is good, which is good. I didn't think the Russia maps were very good, but the rest of them I thought were great. The Japan map was great. Uh, the the New York map was great. You go to the subway for a little while, and then like you're out in a like a hotel for one minute, and you're like you're outside, and like they do a really good job with the the um, environmental design, and, and especially in Jerusalem, there's one part where you can like see over the desert, and it's pretty wide open there, and there's just like this like ocean of zombies coming over the hill, and I'm just like oh my god, that like it looks amazing, but at the same time like it was horrifying, and it was. Really cool, really cool effect. So I like the environments. Environments feel fresh. You have different classes that you can change up. I think I focused on like a gun user. The wife was like a healer. Uh, but there's also like, you know, people that focus on melee, people that focus on explosives, people that focus on, uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever else you would do in a zombie apocalypse. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, but it was pretty well, pretty well done. And you can also work to unlock some backstories. Not a big thing, but it was kind of appreciated where once you finished a level with one character, you can kind of see like where they came from or what happened to them or how they got in the zombie apocalypse. It's, you know, it's totally not a reason to buy the game, but it was just a little perk that I thought was kind of a neat thing. So overall, if you have at least one friend, I would say play it with one friend. I would not say play it by yourself unless you're down with playing with randos all the time. If, if so, go for it. But if you want to play with friends, play this with at least one friend and AI fills in pretty good for the other two. And it's just a lot of just really fast paced, Really well done zombie combat and some interesting looking levels. And it just delivers the right amount of like action so you can play it and feel like you're playing something exciting, but it's not super difficult. It's not super complicated. And I just had a pretty good time when we wanted to shut our brain off and just shoot a million things. So I feel like if that is what you were after, World War Z is a good time. Did you, I'm sorry if I missed this during your monologue, does this have split screen or did you play it on two different consoles with your wife? I believe it is not split screen. We played it on two different consoles. Uh, my wife and I each have our own PS4 because we are both hardcore gamers. And so we played it in the same room as each other. So we were able to, you know, communicate without requiring a headset or something like that. But yeah, she played on her screen. I played on mine. And then we co-opt like that. And we could have had two randos join us. Um, we did not do that. We just had the AI fill in. And I thought the AI did a pretty respectable job. So That's um, awfully nice of the AI to do that for you. I agree. And it, I mean, honestly, I just, I'm appreciative that it's possible for even one player to play this. You could play it with three AIs if you want. And I think the fact that the developers gave you that option is great. Because I think a lot of developers would have been like, nah, fuck you. You need some friends because that's how we're rolling. <laughs> Because it's not easy to develop really good AI. I know it's a challenge, and I think they did a pretty good job here. A lot of developers, a lot of developers skip that part, and I just don't appreciate it. So I like the fact that they let you play by yourself. That's really cool. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not, you know, it's not going to be something that you're going to be, you know, writing home about. You're, I'm probably not going to remember I even played it in a year. But for, like, two weekends, I thought it was really good high-octane action, and we enjoyed going through it. We went through the whole level. We're not going to go through and, like, get more experience to, like, unlock more skills or anything. We just played it once. But if they put out more levels, I would totally play more levels. Like, if they put out a DLC pack with a couple more cities, I would totally be down for that. So that says something that I'd be willing to come back to it. Overall, definitely a thumbs up. Well, as soon as you said um, 
the kind of game that is good in the moment, but that you won't remember like a year from now, I immediately thought of another co-op game. Um, I was a big fan for a single weekend of the Army of Two games. I felt very oh, similarly yeah. about those. Like they're very Dude, we... fun at the time, but I don't really think about them after the fact. Oh man, me and the wife went through all of the Army of Two games. I think there's three total. The third one is hot garbage. It's terrible. <laughs> Um, but the first two, we really had fun with. And it's exactly right. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to remember six months after you played it. Uh, it's, you know, it's not even really that great of a game. Like, it's just the <laughs> it's novel. The, it's the division yeah. effect right now. Like, <laughs> Totally, dude. It totally. Like, it's fun when you're playing it. And as soon as you put it down, you're like, I, you don't even remember that you even played it. But in the moment, if you have a friend, I, I love the Army 2 games. I wish they would bring it back and, like, really, really double down on the teamwork stuff. Like, have more mechanics for that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing, like with, with World War Z. Really fun when you're playing it. Come back to it, no problem. But like, you know, you finish the missions and then like the next weekend you've totally forgotten you played it. But those games need to exist. Like they can't all be, you know, they can't all be uh, this life-changing, memorable thing that you replay every six months. I mean, it's 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 okay to have a filler game. And I don't mean to say that in a, in a derogatory way. I mean, you just you know not every game is like a triple a gold star award-winning game but but that's okay like it's fun i still had fun i thought it was good so hopefully developers don't feel disrespected i'm totally not trying to disrespect them at all i had a good time with it um even though i forgot it like two weeks after i played it but <laughs> still a good game still a good game well you liked it enough to bring it to the show so that's good news absolutely absolutely i did i did like it very much so let's talk about another game that we like oh i'm kicking myself because i meant to play this before we got to the show and i just didn't have the time um, but you played the brand new Hitman Siberia Sniper Challenge map, which I will probably play tonight. Very interested to get your take on it. Please, sir, do tell. Yes, so um, as if we haven't talked about Hitman enough on this show, I am bringing it back for the 47th time, perhaps. Um, oh, yeah, I see what you yeah, did there. That was a terrible joke. Um but yeah, they just released a new Hitman map. So the last time we talked about Hitman, they had released a normal map, which was the Bank Heist in New York. A very similar setup to a lot of other Hitman missions. You're in a big level, a lot of different hallways, different disguises, objectives, whatever. Play it how you want. But this week, they released a new Sniper Challenge map. And Sniper Challenges are the missions where 47 is perched up on some cliff somewhere. You do not physically walk him around a room, but you do... Um, have a sniper rifle with, I think it's three different levels of magnification on the scope. There's a lot of stuff going down at whatever place you are in front of you. It's almost like looking at like an ant farm or something. And there's like a couple of targets to kill, but there's also civilians and bodyguards that you have to kill. I mean, you don't kill the civilians, but the bodyguards you kill um, or kill as many as you can. And there's like always like fun, silly stuff you can do in the level. Like if you shoot this alarm it'll trigger that or you know something something strange um i like the hitman sniper challenge missions um and now we have a new one it's in siberia so the last one was on a dock and i think it was hong kong i want to say yeah um, yeah uh-huh. and this one is in siberia it's at a prison and as you might imagine with siberia it is very snowy it's very white um very cold looking outside it's very kind of gross very industrial kind of stone and steel type prison you have two people you're assigned to assassinate. One of them, I think, is the warden of the prison. And the other one is a guy who's been in this prison for, like, decades. And he kind of looks like Juggernaut from X-Men. He's just, like, this big, muscular dude with all these tattoos. 
and today is the day that he's getting released from prison and you're there to assassinate the warden and assassinate him because if he gets released, apparently it's going to cause some like political, you know, firestorm or something uh, for wherever he's going back to. I think he's Russian or something. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's very similar. Like I feel very like similarly to how I did with doom three here where I don't really have a ton. I can say like, it's a new hitman sniper mission. Uh, I played it. I mean, it's very good. They're all good, but I played it like six or seven times back to back, uh, like a night or two ago. I mean, if I didn't like it, I probably would have played it once and gotten out of there. Um, but it has, you know, it has the two targets. I think there's 10 or 20 bodyguards. There are prison guards that you're not supposed to kill. There, there are like the specialized bodyguards and then there are the prison guards. You're not supposed to kill the prison guards or else you can get penalized. And one of the objectives is actually to cause a riot in the police yard. So you can do certain things that make, that you can like unlock a door and then the, all the uh, captive people in the prison like start rioting and start fighting the guards and it turns into like a big thing and you're supposed to use it as a cover in order to assassinate the other guys um but it's pretty good it's a good setup um it has a time limit like the rest of them i think it's like a 10 minute time limit so it's just fun to experiment with different things like you shoot this thing and i don't want to spoil anything but like you shoot one thing and then you know it triggers like a whole you know, different scenario for both the targets to do something. So it's really fun just to experiment with what's going on. And even if you fuck it up and don't win or don't kill all the targets before they get out, um, it's only like a 10 minute time limit. So it's not like you're playing it for an hour and then fuck it up. The thing that I both understand but dislike about the sniper challenge missions is that if you kill someone and somebody sees the person die or somebody sees the dead body later, if you don't hide the body, because you can like shoot people through windows to hide them or in this level you can shoot them into these like giant piles of snow which is pretty hilarious um, in order to conceal their bodies if somebody sees a dead body basically the base goes on lockdown and this is true of every sniper challenge mission and then all of the bodyguards and all the targets start like running for the exits and you're supposed to shoot them you know while they're moving because they don't really stop running and so the shitty thing is that if they're running, if the targets, if either of the targets gets out, then you fail the mission immediately. And it's super hard to kill a running person with a sniper rifle. Like it's definitely not one of the easier things to do. So that's a little bit frustrating. But then again, like you can only blame yourself if something goes wrong in a situation like that um, most of the time. But, uh, but I like this. I mean, it's good. It's just another level. It's not like a standout. I don't think it's as good as the Hong Kong docks, but I think it's pretty good anyway. Like, it's not amazing, but it's up there. Um, and I guess that's that. I don't feel like I don't have anything really bright to say about this other than there's a new map, and it's good enough, and I played it like seven times, and that's it. It's hard to talk about these, but I do enjoy them, although I gotta say, like, I would play like a hundred of these in a row if there actually existed a hundred. I mean, there's only like, I think, four total if you count the one that they ported over from ios or whatever um so there's not many of them but like i mean this kind of speaks to our difference as hitman players where i don't really want to play hitman the levels like over and over and over and over like i'll do it like you know once and then maybe twice if i thought it was great but i just have a, I i have a good time going through them you know playing kind of like loosey-goosey like i do i mean we talked about this a million times in the show where you're very careful meticulous I like to run and gun and just whatever happens, happens. And I just, you know, we both have fun in our each individual way. The same thing with this. Like I play this, um, I haven't played this one, but I played the Hong Kong one, I think maybe two weeks ago for the first time. 
and I thought it was really fun. I love sniping people in Hitman. I think it's a really cool thing. I wish you did more of it. I wish it was more integrated into the campaign. I wish they gave you more opportunities to snipe. Um, but after I did it like once, I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like I don't, I sh <laughs> shot him. I don't want to do anything else, but I find it really difficult to figure out what all the tricks are. Like if you shoot this thing, then this other thing happens. I find it just, my brain just doesn't work that way. I just don't put those things together. And I find it really difficult to be able to quote unquote hide a body when you're sniping from like a mile away. Um, I'm not really clear on like how to, how that works and I'm very unsuccessful at it. So I'll try for a few times and I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm killing everybody. It doesn't matter. So I just start shooting people and then, I, and then I walk. I wish they would walk you through it a little bit more, like give you a little bit more handholding because I really would like to, to maybe squeeze a little bit more out of these levels, but I just get kind of frustrated and I want them to show me like how to do it properly. I mean, I guess I could probably like find a YouTube let's play or something, but I wish something in the game would be like, yeah, if you like this counts as hiding a body, this doesn't, or, you know, just, just a little bit more help because I find it a little hard to be very successful at these. I think they're really fun as hell. I, I like them. And like I said, I would play like a hundred of these. If you put a hundred on a disc and sold it to me, I would totally buy that and play it. And I would think it was fun. I would, I would love it. But I'm terrible at these. I'm always like, you know, on my friend's leaderboard, I am always like the the last person. And I have, you know, <laughs> no aspirations to get any higher. So anyway. Um, all right. Cool, cool, cool. One last game, unless you want to, any final words on Hitman or should we move on? Uh, I don't think so. I think we can move on. Okay. One final game and then we're going to wrap it up. Bringing to the table Fission Superstar X. That's F-I-S-S-I-O-N as in... Adam's splitting, not as in casting your lure into a lake and looking for bass. It's <laughs> that would be a totally different fishing game. No, this is fishing superstar X. <laughs> I see what you did there. See what I did there. I Although went for it. I went they, for it. They should make a fishing <clears throat> superstar X game. <laughs> I mean, maybe there is. There probably is. I haven't looked it up. I'm gonna. I, I'll, I'll check later. I hope so. Um, this is a 2D roguelike. So you know, I'm back on my shit. Uh, oh do another roguelike. You know, you oh know me God. and roguelikes. I'm just gonna put my headphones down and walk away right now. Just go start making dinner or something. <laughs> yeah, just, you don't need to. You don't need to be here for this. Uh, <laughs> it is a 2D roguelike where you play a scientist who has created an, a bomb, a nuclear bomb, that he is in love with, and he uh, thinks of it as like a lady, and he wants his lady to perform all across the universe. Ew. And so first of all, you. Ew. <laughs> that, that's gross <laughs> not perform perform but like put on a concert you sicko god <laughs> no i mean just like that predatory idea just seems gross to me i mean he's a mad scientist he's not a good guy he's 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 kind of a villain so i i think it's you know you should be feeling kind of ooh about it which is appropriate so you are a clone and you go he builds a, sh a spaceship and he straps the bomb to the spaceship the bomb is like enormous and you fly the ship and he's like out past the furthest reaches of like, you know, Pluto or whatever. And so you need to pilot the ship from the outer reaches all the way to earth. He wants it to get to earth and then he wants to blow it up. So that's the plan. You pilot the ship in a 2d way. So what happens is your pilot will, there's a, there's a gun on each side of the ship. There's a gun on the top. There's a gun on the bottom gun on the front and a gun on the back. So you can shoot in four directions and each gun can cover, you know, about a quarter of the screen more or less. Um, and so the pilot shoots, like, I think the top gun and there's nobody else in the ship. So you're vulnerable from the front and the back and the bottom. 
So as you go along uh, in your mission, you can eventually like, you know, you shoot a couple guys, then you get like a little pit stop. And with your pit stop, you can be like, would you like to recruit someone? Would you like to fix your ship? Would you like to buy a, a new gun or something? Like you have a couple options. And so you want to like recruit guys like ASAP because you want one person on each gun immediately uh, because the further you get, like more enemies are approaching you. It becomes kind of like a, a 2D shooter where enemy ships will come at you from the top and the bottom and side and all over the place. And you've got to maneuver yourself to, you know, have have at least one gun pointing at them at all times and trying to also hit the weak spots of the enemies that are approaching you. Sometimes ships will come up to you. They have a lot of armor in the front, but they're really weak in the back. So you've got to like maneuver yourself around. And this is all happening in real time. Maneuver yourself around to shoot them in their weak spot. Or like sometimes it'll be like a really tough ship that's got a small cockpit. And if you can maneuver yourself so that you can fire straight into the cockpit, then you can like shoot that pilot. And so it's about, it's, it's like a mix between 2D shoot 'em ups and roguelike because if you die, of course, the game is over. And as you go, you collect more money, you can get more guns, you can get different pilots that have different skills. And ideally, you want to, you know, beef up your ship strong enough that you can make it to Earth and then blow it up. And that would be winning the game. Um, I really like this game a lot. It doesn't explain very much at the beginning, but I did some experimenting, kind of poked around. I talked to AJ Small, who is one of the writers at Game Critics. You may know him as Badger Commander on Twitter. Uh, he reviewed the game for us, and he really liked it a lot. So I checked it out on his recommendation, and he wasn't wrong. It's a very good game. Um, it's really hard, though. It's really, really hard. And I say that as someone who has a lot of experience with roguelikes. Um, not only is it hard to manage, because sometimes you can only choose one thing. Like, do I want to heal my pilot, or do I want to fix my ship? Like, you need to do both, but you can only choose one. Um, so money is pretty tight in that game for a while, so you can't buy like the best upgrades right away. That's kind of tough. And also, like if you die, nothing really carries forward, which is really disappointing. I think this game would be one million billion percent improved if you could actually either carry money over or if you could like permanently unlock better guns so that maybe after like five failed runs, you could like start with like, um, you know, like a plus one gun or something. That would at least give you the incentive to where if you weren't winning, if you just kept at it, you would eventually get better and better or better equipment so that you could get further and further. As it stands, nothing carries over. So you just have to like tough it out each time, which I think is setting the bar a little bit too high. Um, I have gotten to the second planet. So not Pluto, but like Neptune. And there's still like all the other planets to get to. And I have not made it past that. So this game is really difficult. Too hard, I think. I think it's too hard. Um, but I really like it. The art is really cute and uh, got a lot of personality to it. I think playing the game, just like in the levels, shooting and kind of maneuvering your ship and having to, to negotiate like between those four guns is a really cool thing. I think it's a neat idea. Having the bomb is kind of a neat idea. I mean, it's, it's a very cool game. I like basically everything about it, except for it's just a little bit too hard. I feel like I'm probably never going to finish it. And I went to check with AJ who reviewed it. He did not finish it either. So I think the bar <laughs> is set a little bit too high. And in fact, I emailed the PR rep and I'm like, hey, you know, FYI, I'm going to talk about this game on the show. I really like it a lot. I definitely recommend it to roguelike fans. But I think the developers are making this too hard. And he's like, yeah, they're going to address it in a patch in the future. So who knows? Maybe they'll fix it. Maybe they won't. I can't say for sure. In its current incarnation, I still really like it. I'm doing like one or two runs a day. But I got to be honest with you, like I'm not really getting much further. I'm getting a little bit further, but not a lot further. And I kind of wish progress was coming a little bit faster. Um, so if they're, if the developers are listening, 
I love your game. I think you did a great job, but you got to dial that difficulty back a little bit. Give us some progression. Give us something that stays after you, you lose a run. You got to give me hope that I can get there eventually. And right now I'm kind of losing hope, uh, which is not a good place for a game to be, but I still like it. I still would recommend it to roguelike fans. And I think it's, I think honestly, it's all fun. I just wish I, I wish I had a hope of finishing it is what I would like. Hmm. And I wish I had a hope of ever liking a roguelike ever in my life. We're going to find you one. There's going to be one. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is, but there's going to be one. We'll find it. We'll get there. It's going to be a journey. You and me going on a journey together. Buddy. <laughs> I mean, the closest I've gotten thus far is Crypt of the Necrodancer and Prey Moon Crash. Oh, yeah. Moon Crash. That was kind of, yeah, it was kind of a roguelike, wasn't it? But that had progression, though, didn't it? It did, so I guess technically it was a rogue light. And honestly, that's where that's where they need to be. I don't think that anybody really likes rogue likes anymore. I think people like rogue lights, L I T E. And I just think it's a better way to be as far as a game designer. Like you got to give the player hope, and you can't really ask people to devote their life to overcoming these like really really difficult like hard resets and these really steep mountains to climb. All of the best rogue light. Well, I mean, I guess all of the best rogues that I play that I like the most and that I recommend the most all have some sort of progression to them so that even if you are really bad or die a lot, you still got the hope that if you just grind away, you'll eventually get there. Um, I can't say that about Fish and Superstar X, but God damn it, I still really like it. I just think it's really good. <laughs> I really like it a lot. I hope the developers hear me. I hope they patch it out. I hope they do something to make it easier because I would love to roll credits on this. I would love to, um, but I don't see it in the cards, but we'll see. Anyway, any further thoughts, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. I was just going to say that the fact that you kind of want to roll credits and I don't know, like, and you still are enjoying it despite the flaws that you have, that it has, is kind of a testament to how good it must be. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of personality. I think it's really good. But I mean, honestly, no matter how good it is, if I, if I lose hope, I'm going to put that game down and... I will probably end up maybe not recommending it because if I get to the point where I just, I just hit a wall and I just can't get past it, despite how much I like it, I, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to recommend. That's a very small group of people who would be willing to go into a game where like, yeah, I couldn't beat this game. It was way too hard. You try it. And I mean, some people will be up for that, but not many. I think they would really be doing themselves a favor by taking their foot off the gas and just like easing up a little bit. So Anyway, I do like it. Probably will never finish it. Don't think I'll talk about it again, but I really like it. I'm glad I bought it, and I had a really good time with it. So if this at all sounds remotely good to you, if you like roguelikes, if you like shoot-em-ups, if you like roguelike shoot-em-ups, <laughs> this is your jam. I think it's really good despite being too hard. So there you go, Fishing Superstar X. That's all I have to say. We are almost out of time. I think we did a great job on watching the clock. Corey, I think it's time for you to bring it home, sir. All right, let's do it. Um, that brings us to the end of episode 142. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music if you want to hear tonight's banter. And like Brad said earlier, we are kind of back with a vengeance for banter this week. We've got about 45 pure minutes of banter uh, talking about some stuff that I will not disclose right here. Uh, but if you don't want to listen to that, it's totally fine. You can bail and come back next week for our regular show. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us any thoughts, any comments, any feedback, any games you want us to play, ideas for the show, um, whatever you want to send us um, in a multitude of ways. The first way is by emailing us. Uh, our email address is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also post comments on Game Critics website under each show whenever they go live there. Uh, you can comment on our posts uh, where they originate on SoundCloud if you wish. Um, we're also on Twitter as a collective show. Our collective show Twitter handle is at SoVideoGames. And last but not least, you can reach us individually on social media. Brad, would you like to give out your handles? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And if you do listen to the banter, you're going to want to go check out my Instagram, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, indeed. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> But I can uh, also be found on Twitter and Instagram. Um, uh, my handle is much like Brad's. It's just my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, but that brings us to the end of the show. Brad, do you have any parting words before we sign off? No, that's it. Just thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you aboard, folks, and we uh, will talk again. Indeed. We'll be back next week, as always. Uh, but until then, this is a bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. See you next time. levels look fine do i look okay or sound how do we look Corey? you like my shirt oh it's got this new shirt it's great i've been working out what do you think yeah how do i sound uh god damn it how do... brad i don't appreciate you lying to me i know you're not wearing any clothes on the other end of the side <laughs> I, I podcast totally naked every single time <laughs> the thought has crossed my mind that i mean i don't think we ever should or need to do this but podcasting and like video chatting at the same time because i've seen people do it where they like will post the video along with their podcast yeah. online, but that seems like a lot of extra work. It does, and I don't know. It's not like we'd be showing anything. It would just be <laughs> our faces talking at our faces. Like, how... That's not exciting. I don't, I don't know. It's like, like having a conversation with a person where you're staring straight at their fucking face for, like, two hours. That'd be weird. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, do I, do, I sound, do I sound okay is what I'm getting at. Yes, you do sound okay. All right. You sound fine. How's your levels? Uh, we're good, I think. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. Two full hours. Okay, so I just watched a movie like five seconds ago. Have you seen 47 Meters Down? No. It is a scary movie about sharks. It stars, <coughs> excuse me, Mandy Moore and one other lady. I don't know what her name is. I apologize to whoever actress that is because she did a great job. Uh, it is about these two sisters who get out to Mexico because one of the sisters has just broken up with her boyfriend and she's like mega bummed and so this is like uh we're just going down to you know whatever get our drink on and meet some nice brown boys and forget <laughs> about our problems for a while as you do as you do as you do uh and so they're they go out to this uh scuba thing where they're like oh yeah we're gonna get in this like shark cage and there's gonna be like all these real big sharks and we're gonna dive and it's gonna be so cool but then as you may expect since i'm telling you this story like problems occur and things happen uh man it was scary as fuck <laughs> and like the scariest thing about this movie was like it was all totally real like there was no big rubber shark you know jumping across a street to grab somebody or you know nothing <laughs> nobody had a rocket launcher like it was all stuff that you could very plausibly imagine to happen if you actually went and did one of these shark cage 
things, which are a thing. I've seen those in real life. You see them on TV. You see them advertised somewhere. People do this for real. Um, man, it was just like so tense, dude. I was like, ah, you know that feeling where like, I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me. Like if you, if you're on top of something really, really tall or high up and then you like scooch over to the edge and you look straight down, you know, that feeling of like your, your body's telling you like, you're about to die. Motherfucker. Take a step back from the edge. Like, you know, that feeling of like impending doom. Absolutely. I'm scared of heights, so I can relate to this. Okay, so, like, that feeling throughout, like, the entire, like, last half of the movie. I was like, ah! Like, the tingles were going crazy, and I was like, my balls are, like, retracting inside my body, and I'm like, I could not settle down. It was just, it was really tense, really on edge. Really well done, dude. It was really well done. There was, like, a little left turn at the end that I didn't see coming, which I thought was really well done, and, man, it was scary. There was a couple parts where they're swimming through the water and like all they're doing is just showing the water and it is the most frightening thing in the world. <laughs> Nothing happening but just the water. But like, you know, we're terrestrial animals. Like we are meant to have our feet on the ground. And like when you're in an element that is not your own, like, you know, those pictures of like a, a documentary or something where like you look in the water and you, f you can't see anything. It's like blue <laughs> for infinity, right? Like you just can't see the bottom. You can't see the top. You can't see the sides. You're just like in the blue. I don't know about you, but that's really scary to me. And this movie was full of that shit. And I was like, oh my God, it is pinging my, my phobias like so hard. It was <laughs> scary as shit. It was good though. It was really good. That was much better than I thought it was going to be. I would totally recommend this movie to anybody who likes scary movies or shark movies. It was super, super good. Why did you watch this? Um, so we, uh, my son and I, you know, we've been kind of on a horror movie kick. I'm slowly acclimating him to the world of horror films. Um, and so... I got, this week has been nuts, dude. This week has been crazy nuts, really busy. I've been just like losing my mind. And I finally, finally got a grip on things today. I, like I sat down, I, I got some paperwork knocked out, had a discussion about the wife, about upcoming plans. You know, I started writing things down. I had a list and I finally got on top of things. I made lunch and we, it was all good. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, we have like two hours where like I, I'm okay. Like I don't need to do anything right now. I have stuff to do, but it doesn't have to be done right now. And the sun was here and we just had been, had a really busy week. And I'm like, you know, I kind of feel just like watching a movie with you. What do you want to do? He's like, yeah, dad, let's watch a movie. So I'm like, all right, let's watch a movie. So, you know, we've been trying to slowly, slowly build up his tolerance for scary movies. I don't want to, I don't want to like traumatize him, but he's really interested in scary movies. And so we're going, we're going slow. Um, the first one we started to watch was some kind of weird ghost movie from Thailand. And it seemed like it was going to be kind of like funny, scary, but then it just looked like more of like a weird funny and it wasn't, wasn't really like the right mood that we were looking for. So we stopped that. We switched over to the original Night of the Living Dead from George Romero from like 1968. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, the black and white one or the color one? Yeah, the, the black and white one. I've never seen the black and white one, but I've seen the color one. I've seen it a few times. It's actually still a really good movie and I figured that's old enough. It's not very gory. It's in black and white. That even helps. So I'm like, okay, well, this might be a good time to like, you know, cause he's like, he's all about zombies and stuff. He's all about it. So he's like, yeah, yeah, let's watch it. We got about like six minutes in and he's like, we can't watch this. So I'm like, okay, fine. So we turned it off. Um, but he's very, he's very tough when it comes to shark movies. We've seen a, a dozen shark movies and for whatever reason, like that's the kind of scary that he's okay with right now. So we're like, okay, let's watch this one. Uh, free on Netflix, and I had a friend who recommended it to me like last year or something. 
Um, so that was what we settled on for today's scary movie. And man, it was scary. It was so good. But tense, <laughs> tense AF, dude. Oh my God. Like, ah, so many moments where you're just like holding your breath. And it was just so real. Like, you could totally imagine, yep, that would happen if I went scuba diving. That would totally happen. Like, all this shit totally could happen. Like, none of it was fictional. It was all possible. And that made it even scarier, dude. That was way scarier. So, whoo! Good movie, but fucking scary. <laughs> I'm surprised that you are so into horror movies, considering you don't like scary video games. See, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I like watching scary movies. I'm into them, and I don't, you know, I don't like every scary movie. Like, I don't just like movies where people are getting chopped up for no good reason. Like, or, you know, not like, you know, like mega gory. I mean, I don't mind it, but there's got to be a good story or something to go along with it. I don't just watch it just for the sake of watching people get killed, but... It's just different, dude. It just strikes my brain a different way. Like, I can watch a scary movie and be into it, and it's fine. And I know it's all going to be over in 90 minutes, so I can, like, kind of tough it out. But, like, playing a scary game where I feel like like I am in it and it's happening to me and shit? Like, no, man. I don't want no part of that. It is too, too much. Too much. Like, a little bit of fear, fine. But me being in the fear is no bueno. No thank you. No, no, no understandable i guess now that i think about it i watched more scary movies whenever i was younger and now i i'm not averse to them but i just don't really watch them but if um but if like a good scary game comes along you know i'm like first in line to play it you are first in line to play it, which i'm very impressed by man ah oh, dude a movie you know speaking of scary movies let's talk about movies for a minute here i'm gonna hijack this whole section for a second here <laughs> we just watched the purge have you seen that the first purge i have seen none of them You've seen none of them. Okay. So, I don't... God, when was the last time we even talked? It feels like a long time since we talked. I know we had a little bit of a delay. We say this every time we record. It feels like a million years since we recorded. Does it feel like that Yeah, well, last week we didn't do banter, so we just got into the games that got out, and that was it. That's true. That's true. So, it's kind of like two weeks between banter, which is kind of weird. So, okay. I had never seen The Purge either, but, like, me and the wife were having... um, We had a day when the sun was off with a friend, and we're like, okay, cool. We've got the house to ourselves. Already had sex, got that out of the way. It's all fine. Now we have, like, the rest of the day to do something. And we're like, let's watch a movie. And for whatever reason, like, my wife is not usually down for scary movies. Like, it's not her jam. But we were both feeling, like, really, like, kind of depressed about, like, the political situation. We just had, like, this long discussion about, you know, what we thought about politics and stuff. Not going to get into it here. But we were just, that's the mindset that we were kind of in. We were kind of, like, just feeling really negative. And I was like, you know what? When you're feeling this down, like, the only thing you can do is, like, watch a scary movie, like, to get your your adrenaline going and just to, to like shock you out of your bad mood, right? And she's like, okay, cool, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's watch something scary. So we watched The Purge, the very first one. And I, you know, I'd heard people talk about it and it seemed like kind of one of those people going crazy movies that I'm not really like super down with, but I'm like, well, I want something that's kind of a little bit more extreme. And I gotta say, not nearly as scary or bloody as I expected. It was, it was almost like anticlimactic, like how... <laughs> I don't want to say how tame it was, but I expected it to be, like, a lot more raw than it was. And it it just really wasn't. Like, it was fine. It was, you know, you know the premise of The Purge, Corey? Yeah, it's where they, like, they allow the 24-hour period where you can get away with, like, any crime ever. So it's basically, like, a bunch of people murdering each other in the streets. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. That is exactly what happens. And I was expecting madness and chaos and just, like, horror and to be, you know, just to be scared and to be grossed out and it was it was pretty tame i mean i think maybe i'm just getting um disillusioned or jaded or whatever but it was pretty tame and i think that the the weird thing about it was because 
the stuff we had been talking about politically was horrible. And then to watch a movie like this, which I mean, like straight up, it just was like Republicans gone wild is what that movie was. Like it was about a bunch of rich white people killing a bunch of poor black people. And that's kind of what's going on in America right now. So like when we watched the movie, we're like, oh, this is not nearly as frightening as kids being in cages at the border. This is not scary enough at all. So uh, it was okay. Like it was fine. And I think we probably will watch the other ones uh, at a later date, but it was, it, I expected a lot more, dude. I expected a lot more. Not that it was bad, but I didn't get scared at all. But then we followed it up with the Belco experiment. Have you heard of this one? I don't think so. It is a movie where a bunch of people go to work in a building in South America and they get paid a lot of money to do some kind of like weird government work or something. They're out in the middle of fucking like nowhere in the middle of a jungle or something like like the government cleared out, you know, like two acres of land and stuck a big building in the middle of the fucking jungle. And there's all this security around there because they don't want their employees getting kidnapped by Colombians or whatever, because I guess that's a thing that happens down there. But they're, they're doing their job in this office. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere metal shutters all the way down all the windows all the doors the place is completely sealed off from the outside and they are locked in and then someone comes up on the pa and they're like yeah there's like 78 of you in the building and if three of you are not dead in the next half hour we're going to kill 10 people so then all of a sudden people think it's like a joke and they're like oh, ha, 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 whatever but like seriously so like all of a sudden it's like yeah you guys need to all of a sudden decide who lives and who dies like right now you've got 30 minutes or else more of you are going to die. And so it kind of goes on from there, but it basically kind of boils down into kind of a battle royale inside of a building. Uh, pretty interesting. And it was actually pretty good. Um, a couple of really cool surprises. The action was pretty funny in a few places. And uh, overall, I mean, I thought it was a really, really enjoyable movie. Does that sound like something you would uh, be up for, Corey? Uh, probably not. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I wasn't sure it was going to be my thing either, but I'm glad we watched it. And I think it was made by... Blumhouse, who also are the people who made The Purge as well, but I, I think we've seen one or two of, of their other movies, and I think I'm kind of like into what they're doing right now. I know they started with Hostel, which I don't think I'm down for. That one seems like kind of a torture porn. I'm not really up for that. But since then, it seems like they're making a couple like Wink Wink Nudge Nudge movies, movies with like a little bit of a political slant and with the horror, uh, a couple of really cool twists and ideas. Um, I'm kind of into their vibe right now, so I think I'm going to check out some more stuff from them. Uh, but the Belco experiment I thought was really good. Um, the Purge, you know, it was okay. I think I probably would have liked it better if I'd seen it when it came out. But 47 meters down, dude. Oh, dude, that was good. So sorry I hijacked the whole thing. I just <laughs> had to get all this movie stuff out. I was like burning to talk about it. So I'm going to turn it over to you, dude. Do you want to talk movies? you want to talk about something else? I know you got a lot of banter this week, don't you? Um, I've got a couple probably big things to talk about. Um, All right, man. Let's go for it. Yeah. The first thing I want to do is kind of talk, give like the closing statement to my flooding car story because I haven't given like the final update on this. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the flooding car story. The ongoing yes. saga. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so I... So I don't I don't even remember where we last left off. I think where we last left off was I was looking, trying to buy a new Honda Fit, and I couldn't find a manual transmission one. And yeah, and I told you to special order the one you wanted, and then you were, you know, I, yeah, so what happened? Did you do, order, order the one you wanted? Did you settle for a different one? What happened? I did not order the one I wanted. I ended up looking, oh. I know. Well, I couldn't, I can't wait two months to get a car. Like, that's kind of the long and short of it, so... But, I but did. you had the motorcycle, though, dude! Well, I know. Well, the motorcycle, that's like a secondary thing that's going on right now, so I... 
I ended up finding a car online that I thought I was gonna like, and it was it. it well, I'll just talk about it in a second. Um, and so I went to it was at a Toyota dealership here, and so I went to I went to the Toyota dealership a couple weeks ago, and I pretty much like, <clears throat> I mean, just from like seeing it online and seeing like the year and the color and the body style, and it was a manual transmission. I was like pretty sure that I wanted to get it, and it was kind of like a you know, I don't know, like, it just seemed right, um, and also, like, I couldn't really wait around to get a car, like, I kind of needed to get one as soon as I possibly could, so I ended up going to a Toyota dealership and test driving a car, and I liked it, and then that was on a Friday, that was, like, two Fridays ago or something, and then Patrick and I went back the following Monday because, um, he had to get, like, a money order, or he was gonna get, like, a cashier's check from the bank to pay it, but, banks like aren't open on Saturdays so it was kind of a whole thing and so we went and got it Monday morning this was like two or three Mondays ago so I'm the proud owner of a and I don't (laughs) I'm gonna say the make and model of this car but I don't really think anybody knows what it is and I didn't know what it was until I saw the listing for it um it's a Scion which I know what a Scion is it's like a I have a Scion oh I didn't know that I do what is your Scion we have an XD an XD, that's like the tiny SUV type one, right? Like, um, it's it's like a four door, but it's kind of a smaller. It's I wouldn't say it's an SUV, and it's definitely not a wagon. It's kind of like Brad, a little. That's why I said the word tiny in front of SUV. I know, but no, no, it doesn't even apply. No, S- no, not even a tiny SUV. So what did you get? I know I'm very familiar with Scion. Um, I got an IM, and it's a okay. Let me wait. Google, oh, Google. Go, here we go. go to the Googles. It's a 2016 IM. It's basically like it's like the XD, but it's a little bit longer and wagonier. If oh you will. yeah. Um, because like the XD and like the Honda Fit have a very similar body style, where they're kind of like stubby, but they're still four doors. They still have a hatchback, and they have plenty of room and stuff. And I really like. Um, Scion XDs as well, because I back when I was in the market for my Honda Fit, uh, my first one that I had, I was looking at Scions as well. Um, and I didn't even know the Scion IM was a thing. And so I just like found it on this Toyota website. And the one I got, it's like this incredible, like electric blue color. So I got this like bright blue car. Um, it's a four door, so it has plenty of room. It has a hatchback for storage in the back. Um, it's a 2016 so it's a lot newer than my old car because my old one was a 2008. It only had, it had just under 15,000 miles on it whenever I bought it. And oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And my Fit had like 115,000. So it's, you know, substantially younger and newer. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like kind of an anticlimactic story because I didn't like, you know, travel on foot to Houston, Texas to get my Honda Fit that I wanted or, you know, like have them order one. But I mean, it is a happy ending nonetheless because I ended up getting a car. I like the car I got. I have it, and I guess that's good news. And then the cherry on top, of course, which I talked about last week, is that I just got my motorcycle fixed. So I have my bike back for the first time in, like, two and a half years, and I have already been riding the hell out of it. I took it out the day I got fixed. As soon as I got back from MechaCon, which is the next story I'm going to tell, um, I took it out that night, and then I drove it to work on Monday morning. And then I drove it to work on Wednesday or Thursday? Yesterday. Yesterday morning. Yesterday was Thursday. Drove it to work and back yesterday morning, and I'm very, very happy to have my bike back. So I went from one car to zero cars to two cars in the mat, and in about three weeks, and now all is right with the world. The equilibrium is back. Everything is settled, and I can go about my business. 
Okay, well, uh, you know, I was really pulling for you to get the exact <laughs> one you wanted. I wanted you to do do you and get what you wanted. But I think this is actually a pretty happy turn of events anyway. I mean, I we've had a Scion for a while. Uh, we've been, like, super happy with it. Uh, I mean, it's a great car. We would totally buy, like, another one if we needed to buy. I don't want to buy another one, but if we did need to, <laughs> I would totally buy another one. I've never heard of the IM, uh, but I'm looking at it right now and literally looking at the electric blue color that you mentioned. It's a sharp-looking car. Uh, looks like a very nice vehicle, and I mean, if you are as happy with your IM as we have been with our XD, I think you will be in good shape. Thank you. I think so, too. I like it so far. Um, I really don't actually have, like, I mean, I have, like, really minor complaints, but it's just, like, stuff that I'm just being a baby about. Like, I liked the Fit had a bigger windshield, and, like, the windows were bigger, so you could, like, see everything around you, and the IM feels more like a car when you sit in it, because you kind of, like sink into the seats when you get into it which isn't you know neither here nor there but i'm just so used to like sitting upright in a car um but i do like it i mean i don't feel like i had to like downgrade or i really had to like compromise and it's a manual transmission so i still got that what is which is kind of the big thing i wanted so i have a new car and i'm happy so things are good well i'll tell you what man the one complaint i have about my scion is that kind of like related to the seats um the seats are at like a strange angle in the XD. And I think we have like, I want to say it's like a 2005 or something like that. Um, the seats are at a strange angle. They're like a little bit more reclined than I like to be. And the headrest is also at a strange angle. So it's, I didn't really like notice it at first, but like as the years have gone on, I'm like, you know, this is such a weird angle to be sitting at. And the headrest just really does not sit with me that well. So if I put a little pillow behind my back, then everything <laughs> squares off correctly because I drive like an old man, I guess. And everything is fine with a little pillow. But, like, I, I wish you could adjust the headrest. I wish there was, like, a little bit of a, a knob or something. And I went back into the Scion dealership later on. And I'm like, yo, is there are there custom seats that we can get? Because I don't know if people know this, but, like, uh, when Scion first came out, I don't know if they still are, but one of their big hooks was you can customize fucking every aspect of this car. So we've got, like all sorts of options, different packages, like you can get different rims and different, you know, sunroof or not sunroof or different radios and like different, all, all this stuff, like all this stuff you can <laughs> customize, right? And they're like, whatever you want, we'll quote you the price and that's all it is. Like there's no negotiation. You just buy it for the price that it is and you can add or remove things as you want. That sounds good to me. And so I went back after purchase and I'm like, hey, so like we've been driving this for like six months and the seats are just kind of weird. Like my neck kind of sits at a weird angle. Can we get like, can we get like different seats to change out? And they're, they just gave me like this look, like like dead <laughs> stare in the face. I'm like, hello, can I? He's like, what? I'm like, can I get a different seat? Like the way that the seat, is, maybe I'm too short or something. I don't know, but it's like a weird seat. He's like, we don't do that. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You don't do that. You customize every fucking aspect of this goddamn car. You don't have a, you don't have a custom seat. He's like, no, who does that? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I've heard of. I mean, I don't know about you, dude, but I people have changed seats in cars. Like, it's a thing you can do. Maybe you got to go to, like, an aftermarket or something. But it's, like, it's not, like, it's not saying, like, I wanted to equip it to go to the moon or something. It's just, like, I wanted a different seat, okay? <laughs> anyway, that was fucking stupid. And I was, like, fuck you. I'll just drive with my fucking old man pillow. Who cares? Whatever. But, like, I found it ridiculous that this guy, like, could not even conceive of having a different seat in a car. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm sorry about your car problems, but at least you have your trusty pillow to help you out. I mean, yes, I got my <laughs> pillow. Word of advice to you, if your neck starts hurting, get a little pillow. You'll be fine, too. It'll all work out. You'll like the car. The car's been great other than that, and it's not that big a deal, but 
anyway, just wanted to mention that. So what else? What else you got cooking, buddy? Well, I spent all weekend at MechaCon, which is a sort of like anime-ish video game movie, you know, just general sort of Comic-Con type um, uh, convention here. And as usual, I talk about it every time I go, but I go with, um, there's a group of Spider-Man cosplayers called the Spidey Team that are largely based in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is about two hours west of New Orleans. And there's a couple people in Houston, Texas, and... um, they MechaCon is kind of one of the big cons that they all uh, converge on, and it's always great to see them, and it was great to see them over the weekend. But I have a kind of traumatic story from this year at MechaCon that oh, I want fuck. to share. Yeah. Uh, okay, did somebody grope you on the floor? No, it's not. Tra- well, it's a little bit traumatic for me, but not as traumatic as it is for somebody else. So. Oh, Jesus, did somebody die? No, nobody died. Um, okay, go ahead. Go so ahead. we're out... Um, I was, uh, I mean, I do multiple, like, different kinds of shoots with people in the Spidey team and other people whenever I'm at these cons, and there's a guy, one of the guys from Houston, who I really like, um, he's a very good friend, and he's a wonderful dude, uh, he came in, and we were out shooting, and there's, like, this kind of, like, median area across the street of the hotel that has, like, a little park in it, and these, like, some, like, trees, and these little, like, statue things, and I was out there shooting with some of the cosplayers, I was shooting Captain America, and... I got some America's ass pictures, of course, and I was shooting with <laughs> other, some other Spider-Mans. I shot with a guy who had this cool sort of like, it was like a Spider-Man slash like Dragon Ball Z type bodysuit. So it was like kind of neat looking because um, there are stuff, I see stuff like that every once in a while where they do like kind of like a weird like mashup of cosplays. And, right, right, right. And then I started shooting uh, Spider-Man, my friend from Houston, and so he is, if like, he's one of those dudes who somehow he's gotten very well connected with a few very, very, very exceptionally good photographers in Houston. And they do a lot of photos where they, like, climb up abandoned buildings and, like, get on the edge of these, like, multi-story roofs. And they take these, like, incredible, like, pictures that I could never take in a million years. They're so good. And so he's very much, like, into climbing on stuff and being up high and taking pictures and like doing really cool stuff for like these great Spider-Man photos. And so he starts climbing up this like, uh, this kind of just, just like a statue, I guess, in front of me. And it kind of looks like a steel beam with this like metal, like grating wrapped around it. And he's like climbing up it and I'm taking all these pictures of him and he's, you know, doing some Spidey poses. And then Uh, I'm getting scared. Yeah, I know. I mean, we all maybe know where the story is going, but um, so he, it's, and he's about maybe 10 feet off the ground, maybe 12. Um, and he comes around to the other side of the statue and he's like doing some more poses and stuff. And there's these like kind of like rock things that are sort of on the metal beam. And I don't, I didn't really pay attention to them, but they're just kind of there, like part of the sculpture. And he reaches up to grab one to get a better hold uh... on the steel beam. And. It's not, I mean, it's part of the statue, but it's not, like, adhered to the statue. So he grabs this, like, rocky piece with his left hand. His hand is completely extended up, puts his hand on this, like, rocky piece that's on the steel beam. It comes loose immediately, and he falls all the way down the steel beam. And like I said, it's about 10 feet or so off the ground. He lands right on his heels and then falls down immediately to the ground. And... Uh, his left ankle like shattered on impact from him coming down from oh, the statue. Oh no! Um, 
so, and I was the only person that saw it because the other guys that I was kind of shooting that were doing cosplay were just kind of like joking around like behind us, like kind of on the other side of the park. You know, I have my camera in my hand, I'm shooting him and he's up there doing his poses and stuff. I mean, we got some good shots and whatever, but you know, he reaches up, tries to grab this thing, falls completely down, um, lands on his heels, ankle shatters on impact. We have to call an ambulance because there's nothing we can do. And, you know, he's from Houston, so it's not like he has family here or anything. So he's like freaking out on the ground and he's like screaming. And um, he had like kind of like shoes that were sort of like attached to the bottom of the suit. And uh, Logan, one of the guys in the group, like basically had to like tear the suit and like pull the shoe part off and like hit the back of his ankle was really swollen and luckily like nothing like bled like it, nothing none of the skin broke which was I think a good thing so you know there wasn't like blood anywhere or anything like that but he fell down and he broke his ankle and we had to call an ambulance he got taken away in the ambulance and like his mom left Houston to come see him and got there like really and this was on Saturday pretty early maybe like around 1 or 2 p.m on Saturday so he only made it through about half the con weekend. And luckily they did a panel on Friday night. So they got to get the panel out of the way and everything. But I just felt really, really awful for him because he's kind of one of those dudes who like, he will always persevere no matter what's going on. But like whenever he's in the moment of being down in the dumps, he like really gets down in the dumps. So like he was like, you know, just kind of like screaming and being really frustrated. And he was like, oh, like, this is the last time I'm ever going to cosplay. I'm never going to come back to this con. I think this is it for me. And I was like, man, you need, I was like, you need to pull it together. Like, I, I like, I know this sucks, but like, you like, like, come on, man. And oh my God. I realize you just maimed yourself, but keep it real, bitch. Well, I'm just like, he, he just does, he gets in a very negative mindset when this stuff kind of happens, which I mean, I get it. Like I've never fallen 10 feet and broken my ankle. So I would probably say the same fucking thing if I were him. But, you know, we were all trying to, like, help him out, and, you know, we called the ambulance, and the EMT dudes showed up, and they, like, put the splint thing around his uh, ankle and his leg, and, you know, like, put an IV in and everything. And then, like, in the middle of it, because this stuff is, this kind of stuff has happened to me before, where I've been in the middle of a situation, somebody's injured themselves. Like, it happened at the skate park about three months ago, where a skateboarder, like, broke his knee while he was skateboarding, and luckily that wasn't graphic either, but, like, the same thing happened. He was skateboarding. He broke his knee. Somebody called an ambulance. They came and they picked him up. And, like, in the moment, I want to be kind and, like, not... Because I'm a photographer. Like, I don't want to take pictures because it seems, like, not the polite thing to do. But at the same time, I'm, like... I kind of, like, go into photojournalism mode. And I'm, like, okay, well, like, this is the one time this thing is going to happen so, like, maybe I should take some pictures? Like, you know, maybe? And luckily, Josh had, who was the guy that injured himself, had um, had asked one of the guys in the group, like, because um, they're trying to shoot, like, a documentary about the Spidey team. And he, like, looked at the guy, and he was like, he, I mean, he was, like, not trying to be, like, famous for injuring himself or anything, but he was like, hey, maybe you should document this. Like, if this is something you want to document, like, that's fine. And so as soon as he said that to the other guy, I immediately, like, put my camera up to my eye and was like taking a bunch of pictures and, and it, cause I knew he wouldn't care at that point. And so I ended up getting some pretty like, it sounds terrible. I hate saying this, but like some pretty excellent pictures of him, like being taken away on like the stretcher. And he was like crying and like looking up at other Spidey team members. And, you know, he just looked really upset, but 
it was like pretty pretty traumatic because um, I was the only person that saw it. He literally fell like three feet in front of me on the ground. Like it's not like he was far away or anything. Like fell right in front of me. And of course, I you know I can't stop thinking about like oh, well, what if I had, like, caught him, you know? Or, like, what if I had broken his fall in some way, which I realize is a ridiculous thing to think about, but when that kind of thing happens, like, and you're the only one there, like, that's kind of something that you get stuck, like, cycling in your head. But luckily, he will should be healing. Um, I think he's going to be off his feet for, like, eight weeks, and then he said he has, like, six weeks of sort of, like, leg rehab after that. So, you know, in the grand scheme of his life, it's but a sliver, but I know that he's kind of down in the dumps right now, and it's really unfortunate that it happened. And, I mean, the rest of the weekend was good, that aside, but that was kind of like this really odd, traumatic piece of the weekend that happened right in the middle of the weekend, and it was pretty terrible, but I think um, everything's going to be okay. Man, oh, that's too bad. I mean, and, you know, a guy like that, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know this guy, but I know the kind of guys that you photograph, and I'm, I can I can only surmise from someone being on the Spidey team, probably very athletic, probably very, you know, into their body and doing a lot of things outside, and to have an injury like that that's really immobilizing can be very disruptive mentally and physically, not just physically, but, like, you know, if you have somebody who's very active and then all of a sudden they are not active, that's a huge blow on, like, on multiple levels. I mean, not only do they have to figure out how to even just go about their daily life, right? But also all this stuff that they probably really enjoy a lot is like no longer a choice for a couple weeks, you know, six to eight weeks or something like that. That can throw somebody into a pretty deep depression, honestly. Um, I've seen some friends who have had some injuries who were very athletic. And man, I was surprised at like how badly it like wrecked them, like mentally. Like the, the injury was fine. They were in no, no danger with their life. They were just going to heal nicely. But boy, like they just were, ooh, I mean, it can do some really dark things to a person to have something like that taken away. So I wish him the best and I hope he's got some family and friends around to keep him supported while he heals. I'm guessing the biggest damage to from this is going to be psychological and not physical. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think he'll come out of the other side of it and be, you know, I don't want to say like better off because that's a really stupid thing to say, but I think that he'll reflect on it and be, you know, better on the other side of it than he thinks he will be right now, um, which is a good thing because he always like, he always get like, he ha he faces a lot of hardships in his life and he always gets through them. And, you know, maybe it's not always gracefully, but he always does it. And so I think he will, but it'll just take I, the interim time between now and everything being healed and everything being over with is probably going to be really rough, but he'll get through it. I know he will. And hopefully on the other side, everything will be fine. All right. Well, best wishes to him, man. And oh, man, I ugh, don't envy him at all. That's really too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Um, let's change it up a little bit. I wanted to talk about homeschooling for a second. Maybe you remember this, maybe you don't, but I think it was last week I posted some pictures about going to a chicken butchering class. Did you see those pictures on Instagram? I did not see these pictures. Oh, oh you God. didn't see those pictures? No. Oh, I thought for <laughs> I thought for sure you would have seen those. I'm glad I didn't see them. That sounds terrible. Oh, man. Let me tell you about it. Uh, so what happened was we I was thinking about. OK, so we eat meat in this family. We, we love meat. Animals can die in front of me and I'll eat them and it they taste real good and I like it and it's fine. Um, but I wanted my kid to, to like have a better understanding of like where meat comes from. You know, like, the, you know, the cliche is, oh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't just arrive out of the air and into styrofoam packages in the grocery store. Like it's got to come from somewhere. Right. So like. We really wanted to like tackle that head on and be like, look, you know, we're a meat eating family. I know where I know where food comes from and I'm OK with that. Same with the wife. But I'm like, you know, child of mine who's 10, you you, you probably have like a 
a theoretical understanding, but you probably don't really understand like where your food comes from. And he's a big fan of chicken nuggets, as you know, all kids are basically. So we're like, you know, let's let's dive into this a little bit. And it just so happened that there was a, another homeschool kid who was older. He's probably 16, 17. I'd never met him before, but he lives on an actual fucking farm. Um, <laughs> right, like half, like 45 minutes outside of Seattle. So the weird thing about Seattle, it's a big city. People think of it, you know, it's like one of the tech hubs of the West Coast. Mi- more millionaires per capita than any other place possibly in the world. Uh, like tons of money, tons of tech, blah, 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 blah. But if you go just a few minutes outside the city, it's like rural, dude. Like there's rural shit going on. Like this, so that we went, we drove out, uh, and this kid was on a fucking farm, uh, <laughs> like with cows and goats, geese, chickens, all sorts of shit. And his dad, like, so these people, like, literally, like, butchered all their own food, grew most of their own food, um, did all sorts of like farm ass shit, and like. As you do Crazy. on it was cr- farms. As you do, as you do, as you do. <laughs> so like we went, we so so that kid was trying to raise money for something. He was, I think he was, he wanted to do like a sheep project or something, and he needed more money to get sheep or something. So he 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 hosted this class of how to butcher your own chicken. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is the perfect opportunity. We eat chicken, but I think it's important to know where chicken comes from uh, to make an informed choice. And so you know, we do this thing. So we drive out of this guy's farm. He's got a bunch of chickens. Uh, we meet his farm mom and his farm dad who are also like real ass farmers. Very cool people. Very nice. They were, they, they were lovely. Their farm was amazing. They had this barn that was like so beautiful. Like looked like a classic red barn from the outside. You go inside and it was just like really richly fragrant cedar wood on like the floor and the ceiling. And it was all really polished and oh, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of property. So we go out there and he's just like, and of course, anybody listening, if you follow me on Instagram, you can, you can scroll back in my Instagram timeline. I have pictures of this, so I, you can check it out for yourself if you want to. Uh, but he, you know, he had a bunch of chickens. He got one out and he's like, okay, so this is, we're going to do the chicken thing. And this is how it goes. Start to finish A to Z. So he totally grabbed a chicken, uh, killed it like right in front of oh us. My God. And then he boiled it, plucked it chopped it up in a bunch of pieces and he's like, all right, and this is where your chicken comes from. And the next step would be to wrap it up and send it to Safeway. So I'm like, <laughs> oh okay, cool. <laughs> so then it was our turn. Uh, and there was me and my family and a couple other families were there. Like, I think it was like three families total came out to do this. And so we went and we, my son got to pick out a chicken and I thought he was going to kill it himself, but he didn't want to at the last minute. So I'm like, that's totally fine. So I, I did it myself. I did the deed, grabbed the chicken and killed it myself. And the, I, to be honest, it was it was weird. Like, I mean, you know, you don't often ritualistically kill something in front of a group of people. I mean, it's a once in a while kind of a special occasion. Definitely not an everyday thing. Um, so that was a little bit strange. Uh, so like how you did it, like there's many, there's many ways. There's many ways. Uh, my son was thinking that we were going to have an axe and chop its head off. That didn't happen. My friend who has had chickens said that if you grab a chicken's neck and spin it around real fast, mm. it will break. Um, we didn't do that either. What we did was we grabbed the chicken. I held it down, and you could feel its throat. Oh, God. And, oh. Yeah, you, you could totally feel its throat, like where the you know the bones were and the skin was. And so he's just like, if you cut it at this part, oh. it'll totally bleed out in like a minute. Oh, like, no. <laughs> I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Too late. You just heard it. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, so the chicken died. It was over pretty quick. And I will say much less blood came out of that chicken than I thought was going to. I was I was prepared for like a horror movie like Bloodbath. 
Totally not that at all. It was actually much, much less than I thought it was going to be. So we got the chicken died. We brought it over to this boiling-ass pot of water, threw the whole bird in, uh, and it boiled, just stirred the bird. Like, imagine an entire chicken with head and feet and feathers <laughs> being stirred in a boiling pot for, like, a minute or two. Uh, and the point of that was to, to to cook the skin, not cook the meat, but cook the skin enough that you could pull the feathers out. So we, we did that, pulled it out, and then, man, those feathers came out like nothing, dude. Like, it looks like so much work if you've ever seen, like, a, a cowboy movie or something like that. Man, those feathers came out like lickety-split, no problem. So we stripped it down, and then we went through the whole butchering process, you know, cut the chicken open and took the guts out and cut off. You know, we knew where to, like, cut the joints and to cut the pieces up. And then at the end of it, we had, like, chicken like you would see in a store. Like, we had thighs and we had some drumsticks and we had a couple of breasts and everything. Um, so it was really, really interesting. We got home and we cooked it up and he's like, you know, he's like, you know, just heads up. This is not store-bought chicken. So it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to taste fine, but the consistency of the meat is different. And so just be ready for that. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine. I trust you. Went home, cooked it up. Uh, the flavor was good. It was really good. It tasted really good, really fresh and, you know, very chickeny. It didn't taste gamey or weird, but the breasts of the chicken were much smaller than they would be in a store. So at first we were like, oh, bummer. Like, you know, maybe we're not going to get full off of this dinner because there's not, doesn't seem to be hot of meat on this thing. But by the time that we cooked it, like it was actually a lot denser than, than an actual chicken breast. It was kind of the consistency of a steak, to be honest with you. Um, I had to get out a steak knife and we cut it up and it was, I don't want to say that it was tough because it wasn't like we were like chewing on it for an hour. It was just, it was just like a piece of steak. And so we ate it and like, man, after just having like a small chicken breast, like I was totally full. So I wonder if like the nutritional content was more or maybe like the protein content was more um, because it definitely didn't feel like a store-bought chicken breast or even like a chicken breast like you would get at like, you know, Wendy's or something like that. Like it, it, it definitely felt different as you were going through it. But really good experience. Um, really interesting. The people at the farm use 100% of the chicken. They had a use for like every bit of it. And they were like, dude. Whatever pieces you don't want, give it to us because we will use all of it. So we gave them like the feet and the guts. And mm. I think I think the feathers you can't do anything with. But like all the rest of it, they had a use for. And they were all about like respecting the animal and making sure that it didn't go to waste. And, you know, being very cognizant about what you're doing. And their chickens had a really good, you know, free range chicken life. I mean, as good a life as a chicken can expect. And um, the really interesting thing, a uh, little side note, was um, when we cut open the chicken, I did not know this. I did not know this at all. But chickens have the like a billion little egg yolks inside of them when they are chickens. And then each little yolk will develop a shell one by one. So I guess I didn't really understand or think about how it worked. But I suppose I thought just like an egg would be created like one by one. But like those yolks are all in there. So when we cut open the chicken, there's like a thousand little yellow, tiny orange egg yolks all like in a row. And they're like, oh, yeah, the chickens come with these eggs, like the yolks ready to roll kind of similar to how, I guess, a woman is born with eggs in their ovaries, I suppose. Kind of the same biological structure a little bit. And when we cut ours open, there actually was an egg inside of it, like a full-on egg, like ready to go. So we cut open the chicken, took out the egg. We kept the egg and ate it, and it was fine. And uh, that was a really interesting uh, bit of the process that we didn't expect. But overall, I mean, super educational. We still eat chicken, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like we respected animals before. Like, we're not really wasteful or anything, but... To really, to really understand what it means to eat meat and be okay with that is, I think, a step that a lot of people don't do. Um, so I, I'm glad that we did that. And I, I got to say, I learned a lot. I learned a lot that day. 
whole family learned a lot and the people on the farm were super awesome. And I mean, fact is that's just how you got your meat for most people for a long time. It's only really recently that supermarkets like this are a thing. So I think it's kind of cool to be in touch with like the reality of how to eat an animal and like where it comes from. So it was a pretty cool thing. Not for everybody, not for everybody, but I thought it was really educational. I thought I was going to win the prize for the most traumatic story on the podcast this week. And you really just <laughs> swept it out from under me. Oh, no. Are you traumatized right now? <laughs> See, this is why we should maybe think about doing video podcasting, because if you could have seen the look on my face the entire time you were describing that process, and whenever you were talking about the fucking yolks inside the chicken, like, is it just like a utility belt that a chicken comes equipped with? And all the yolks, like, what the hell is going on here? It's so great. <laughs> That's totally what I thought it looked like, dude. Like, it was just, I, I got to say, that was the most, like, it, I was thunderstruck when I saw that. I was like, it never even occurred to me in a million years that was how chickens were equipped at all. Like, I just didn't even, none of that had ever <laughs> been a possibility Gross. in my mind, you know? But, like, I guess chickens are just, like, way more alien than you think they are. So that was oh, really, really fucking strange, dude. Really strange. Uh, that story anyway. was gross. <laughs> <laughs> homeschooled <laughs> i mean i never learned that in school and i was not homeschooled so i guess power to you for really stepping outside of the bounds of the american education system oh fuck yeah dude i mean this was this was like ten thousand times above like cutting up a frog in biology class or anything this was like oh i did this that. was hard this was hardcore shit did you cut up a frog in school i did I t in my biology class i think it was biology and i know it was high school i can't remember like if it was junior sophomore senior year um i don't remember if I had to cut it up myself, but I remember there being an exam at the end of the year where there was like several, like at all the workstations, there were, there were like frogs, like just dead frogs cut open in different positions. And our biology teacher had like, kind of like flagged pins in different parts of them. And we had to go around and like identify what each pin was stuck in on our like exam sheet. Um, I can't remember if I cut one open myself, though. I had to have. I just can't. Maybe it was just so not, traumatic. Not necessarily. Well, I did the exact same thing when I was in school, and I didn't cut one open. I just, like, we had, like, one per table, I guess, because, you know, the frog funding just wasn't there when I was in <laughs> high school. And I think, you know, what, like, the jock at our table cut it open to be all macho. Oh, and then did. I think we all just, yeah, of course, and we all just, like... <laughs> looked over his shoulder and then you know whatever copied each other's answers and then we like left i mean it was like no big deal like i didn't really like learn anything and i didn't learn anything i couldn't have learned from a biology booklet i mean so i think like doing something like this is like way more hardcore than what we did in biology class so i mean and i feel like i feel like it was really worthwhile i don't know that i would want to like butcher my own chicken every day but like i mean hearing these people talk they were like you know we cut up uh, we cut up all our meat and stuff and we have cows and we butcher our own cows and they're like oh you know if you think this is hardcore when you butcher a cow that's on a whole other level and i'm like oh man i'm not ready for that yet <laughs> but they were going to do their goats later that day and they were also going to do rabbits like i think next week so they had all sorts of shit going on dude and they they were like walking the talk man these guys were fucking capital f farmers dude they were hardcore so now whenever um the United States inevitably gets nuclear bombed, you're, like, one step closer to being able to, like, really care for yourself out in the world when there's no, like, stores open or anything, right? I mean, the thought did cross my mind, honestly. I'm like, you know, if we're out on the wasteland and I come across a chicken, we're, we're fucking set. I can butcher that thing. 
I'll butcher that mutant chicken and I'll have like 16 drumsticks <laughs> off it and we're going to be good. We're going to be real good. So <laughs> It's just going to be the whole chicken is just going to be one yolk, the whole thing. Like <laughs> Ugh, gross, a yolk with feet and like a big mouth on it. That'd be gross. Oh my God. Okay, we've got to stop talking about this. <laughs> All right, dude. I'm looking at the clock. I think we're probably wrapping up on banter, unless you got anything you want to slide in at the tail end here. Um, <laughs> not anything other than trying to imagine a giant yolk mutant chicken. That's it. <laughs> All right. I say it's probably time to talk about some games. What say you? Oh, I could not agree more. All right. Let's talk about some games. <laughs> <laughs>